Africa is defining global Christianity for the future, just because by sheer virtue of numbers. But the question we always ask ourselves is what kind of Christianity? And that's where the challenge is coming. That there is a lack of um, assessment of how the African culture uh, is influencing the way Christianity is practiced. So the doctrine and the practice then gets mixed in together with African traditional religions. I think the answer lies in teaching our people to understand where they come from and how the, the, the gospel challenges that, challenges our culture, challenges our worldview. My name is Angel Torero. I want to welcome you to On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham. What can Christians in Indiana learn from Christians in Indonesia? How can church leaders in Mumbai equip pastors in Miami, which is where I live and serve? On this podcast, we listen in on conversations between Chris Wright and church leaders in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, where my family has their roots. We hope you discover how much wisdom the church in the West has to gain from their sisters and brothers in villages and towns around the world. This podcast is brought to you by the Langham Partnership, a ministry founded by John Stott, to equip church leaders in the majority world. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham and explore more resources from global church leaders. Our host is Dr. Christopher J.H. Wright, known to many as Chris Wright, a respected theologian and award-winning author of more than 30 books, including critically acclaimed The Mission of God, Unlocking the Bible's Grand Narrative. When he's not writing books, Chris serves as Global Ambassador and Ministry Director for Langham. Today, Chris talks with Elizabeth Mburu of Kenya. She is an Associate Professor of New Testament and Greek and teaches at Pan-Africa Christian University in Nairobi in addition to speaking and lecturing across Africa and internationally. In her role as Regional Coordinator of Langham Literature in Africa, She's helping lead a project to update the groundbreaking Africa Bible Commentary. Their fascinating conversation touches on the history of Christianity in Africa and the ways Africa is defining global Christianity for the future. What we can learn from the African church and so much more that we have to make this a two-part episode. I hope you enjoy part one of Chris's conversation with Liz and Buru. Welcome to On Mission. I'm Chris Wright, and today we're heading again to that great continent of Africa and to Kenya, where it's my pleasure and joy to introduce you to Dr. Elizabeth Mburu, who is the Africa Regional Coordinator for Langham Literature. So welcome to you, Liz. I think I can call you Liz, can't you? That's what we all call our friends. That's right. (laughs) Yes. Now, Elizabeth uh, is uh, Associate Professor of New Testament and Greek at the Pan-Africa Christian University and teaches in a number of other places as well. And she's particularly interested in developing intercultural models of hermeneutics. And we'll explain what that means a little bit later. So, Liz, tell us, first of all, what's involved in being the Regional Coordinator for Africa for Langham Literature? Well, it's an exciting job, let me just say that right off. Um, 
the, the first thing that we that is involved in that is um, being on the board of the Africa Bible Commentary. Um, I think that the two just coincidentally happened to come together at the same time. And so being on that board is um, a lot of um, editing work um, and writing work as well. Uh, I get to meet very many um, African scholars. Um, and then the other part of, of that work is the commissioning work. So I'm trying to identify key people who can write for the African context. And so I, I, I am involved in just getting to know them, getting to hear their passion about Africa, about the church and, and what they think that we need to do. And through those kinds of conversations, I'm able to get to a place where I can ask, do you want to write a book for Lanham? And so those are the two primary things that I think um, that say. sounds a bit like talent spotting, you know, like a sort of a, a sports coach who is, who is yes, like yeah, a, a scout. scout You're yes. out there <laughs> looking for those who've got something to say and uh, help them to, to yes. say it and to write it in a way that will be a blessing to the church in Africa. That's wonderful. So you uh, gained your own uh, PhD, your doctorate in Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in uh, North Carolina, that's right. And I think, am I right in saying that yes. you were actually the first woman to get a PhD from that seminary? Yes, I, yes, I actually was the first woman to get a PhD, to get a PhD there. It was an exciting time, challenging, but good. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yes. Now, we're going to talk a little bit later uh, about your writing and editing work, but I wonder if perhaps, first of all, you could just take us to Africa itself and something of the church that's there. One thing that I think, well, many of us, including in the West, know is that the church in Africa has been growing incredibly, especially in the past half century or so. Um, and the, the statistics are really quite, quite amazing. I've actually just been reading this book, uh, The Kingdom of oh, God in Africa. Sure. I don't know if you know. It. Yes, A History of African Christianity by Mark Shaw and Wanjiro Gitao. And, and it's fascinating because it takes us through the whole story of, of the church in Africa really right back to New Testament times. And I think it's important for us, uh, those of us who, like myself, live in the West, to realize that you know, Christianity and the church has been in Africa right from the very beginning. And, and indeed, if one takes back before the New Testament, back to Old Testament times itself. But I, as you probably know, I come from Ireland. And one of the lovely things I like to remind myself is that uh, Frumentius, who was from Lebanon, was bishop in Ethiopia in the 4th century AD. That is that he was a missionary bishop in Africa at least 100 years, if not more, before Patrick brought the gospel to Ireland uh, and a good thousand years before uh, the gospel ever reached the continents mm. of North and South America. So it's an incredible story. But here we are now with uh, the church in, in Africa where they reckon that at least 40% uh, of the world's Christians will be African within the next uh, 50 years. Mm. Uh, I'm told that 26% of all the Christians in the world today are African, and that would include about 44% of Protestant Christians mm. are African. So it is an amazing reality, and I just wonder if you can tell us a bit about what are the kind of challenges that that produces, uh, the opportunities, the good things, the difficult things that that creates for the African church as you see it? I think, let me start with the challenges because those are the ones that kind of 
jump out at us almost on a, a daily basis as we just look around at the church. But we're very excited that the church is growing that fast. That's that's really exciting for us. Um, and I always, uh, whenever I present papers, I always say Africa is defining global Christianity for the future, just because by sheer virtue of numbers. And, and I've seen that you know, said elsewhere. Uh, but the question we always ask ourselves is what kind of Christianity? And that's where the challenge is coming. Because mm. while it's very vibrant, um, it, sometimes it tends to be very syncretistic. There are lots of new movements springing up all over the place. Um, and so um, they're called African-initiated churches or African-instituted churches, as some people would call them. And what happens is that these don't seem to have any kind of control over them. And so as they are uh, broadening in Christianity, uh, what is happening is that there is a lack of um, assessment of how the African culture uh, is influencing the way Christianity is practiced. So the doctrine and the practice then gets mixed in together with African traditional religions. And so a lot of syncretism begins to happen. And I think that's the biggest challenge right now. You find that witchcraft, instead of um, going down, witchcraft is actually on the rise. Um, hmm. Even pastors sometimes, and I'm not I'm not slamming Africa in any way, but this is the reality that even pastors will go to witch doctors to get power because of this whole worldview of, of power. So they need power for the pulpit. Um, you find that um, other practices like um, funeral rites are practiced alongside Christian burial rites because people don't believe that the dead have rested until we've done these traditional ceremonies. Mm. And of course, uh, we also other kinds of initiation rites uh, still tend to be there and, 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 and to kind of corrupt the purity of the gospel, if I can put it that way. And so I would say that's the biggest, the biggest challenge that we have is syncretism. The other challenge that we have is false teachings. So mm. lots of prosperity, health and wealth gospel where the man of God, as, as they like to be called, or the woman of God or the, or the prophet or the apostle gets richer and richer and his congregation is just languishing in poverty. Um, and so all that kind of teaching then begins to corrupt what people understand from the biblical text about how God blesses or why God blesses. And so those are the two major challenges, I think. Yeah, the, the, the syncretism and the false teaching. Yes. Of course, a little bit later, we'll come to perhaps discuss that those are not things confined to Africa. Exactly. But the, the way in which they are expressed then, uh, we can in talk Africa about the uniquely term. African way in which these come out. You're perfectly right. Uh, Syncretism is everywhere. Uh, most teaching yes. actually did come from the West. So uh, we just yeah. do it very well. Um, so how are you or... Uh, others like yourself addressing those problems. What 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 is the, what's the answer to that kind of challenge? Uh, I think the answer lies in teaching our people to understand where they come from, and how the the, the gospel challenges that challenges our culture, challenges our worldview, and so um, if we are able to to look at ourselves honestly and say, this is who I am as an African, because we cannot remove ourselves from our Africanness. We will practice Christianity as Africans. Um, so being able to challenge those through the, the, the gospel, through, through the word of God, and to allow our culture to sit under the word of God, 
I think that is that is the best way to do it. And so we do it through this this writing of contextual books that uh, allow the culture and the biblical text to talk, to have a kind of conversation. So that at the end of that conversation, then we can say, I can see from the text that this practice is wrong because of ABCD. And we're beginning to get a little bit of um, uh, success with that kind of strategy. I, I do believe that that's probably the best way, the best way to do that. Mm while encouraging the positive things in the culture because the vibrant faith um the yeah. exuberance in worship that those are things to be encouraged that the, the the recognition that the spiritual is very real i think those are things to be encouraged so that yes I was, I was sorry i was going yes no i was going to come to that because uh, we mentioned some of the challenges and some of the things that we wouldn't necessarily want to export but the the opportunities and and if if the African Church is going to be such a substantial proportion of the global church, then what is it that the African Church can contribute and give and speak into the churches around the world? Whether one's thinking of the Western Church, but also the Asian Church, you know the great realities of, of Chinese Christianity and Indian Christianity and so on. What what do you think is the unique gift of the African expression of Christianity? I think there's several, but I think the, the primary one is um, the belief that, that the Bible is powerful. Okay, that's positive and negative as well, because then some people use it as a talisman, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that when you read the word of God, it is real and it is true and it has um, an impact on our everyday lives. So that if I am... Um, morning, for instance, the Bible can give me comfort. If, if I have joy, then I can see that expressed in the word of God. So a, the Bible is very, very real for us. It's not just a book. It's not just a piece of literature. It's a spiritual document that impacts us and that um, meets us where we need it to meet us. And I think for me, that would be the primary thing, together with the emphasis on the Holy Spirit, which I think that has been lost in, in Western Christianity. So that recognition that the Holy Spirit is alive and he is active in every sphere of our lives at every moment, mm. I think that is a very big positive. So the power of the word um, and the power of the, the spirit, power of the spirit. Of course, need to go together. Yes, and Christ, of course, then comes in. But our Christology yeah. then is a little bit, our understanding of Christ is a little bit uh, different becomes more contextual because it, mm -hmm. Christ must meet me where I am. So Christ is a liberator. Christ is the one who breaks curses. You know, Christ is the one who is more powerful than than, than the witchcraft that's in my village or or that's that's in my city. And so we see Christ from that perspective of where we are. And and so all these things together. Yeah. So that fact that we need the centrality and importance of the power of the Bible does uh, give a great deal of justification, doesn't it, for the work of Langham preaching throughout Africa exactly. in terms of encouraging pastors yeah. to be faithful preachers and teachers of the Bible. Exactly. Especially now when, uh, I don't know if you are aware, but about 85% of pastors in, in Africa have no theological training. And so movements like Langham preaching are so, so needed uh, to avoid um, 
uh, a lack of understanding of how the biblical text should be preached to our people. Mm. And, and mm. that is very, very important. You've mentioned several times the word context or contextual, and I just thought we ought to go there for a while because a lot of your work does focus on the contextualizing of Christianity in Africa. In fact, you've contributed to a book in 2018, African Contextual Realities, and the introduction to that book um, puts it as a question, in what ways should the African context impact Christianity? This book explores what it means for Christianity to think and speak African. And I wonder, how do you answer that question? Isn't, shouldn't we be saying, look, it's really the gospel that should be impacting Africa, not the other way around? I mean, there's only one gospel, isn't there? It's true. There is only one gospel. And I guess the way that has been put could be confusing. But the reality is, as we allow the gospel to confront us, the gospel confronts us where we are. And so, like I said, we cannot remove ourselves from our African situation. And so for me to think, uh, for Christianity to, to think and to be African uh, is for Christianity to, to take on um, that, how can I say, that, that, that face of an African while I allow the gospel to challenge my Africanness, I don't know if I'm making sense, but as, mm. as I allow the gospel to challenge my Africanness, then I come, I come uh, to practice my faith not as a North American Baptist or as a Presbyterian in the UK, but as, as uniquely African while having that biblical worldview, because always at the end of the day, we must strive for a biblical worldview. Um, everything we do must fit into what the Bible says, what scripture says. And so as for me to be that Christian who is African is to have that biblical worldview, but having these uniquely African things, for instance, our worship services, like I said, they're very exuberant. They are colorful clothes and we dance as we sing and there's so much celebration uh, during church. Um, I've been in North American services where you put your hands in your pocket or you just, you know, you stand quietly and, and sing hymns. <laughs> and the hymns are powerful, don't get me wrong. I think those hymns are powerful, the words are powerful, and we can learn from that how to put the right words, the right theology in our music. But then it, the exuberance then becomes African. The artwork that maybe we display or that we produce as a result of, of wanting to express Christian thought that will have its African um, aspect to it. So it sounds to me like you're saying that the gospel is the gospel. Yes. yes. And it must, in one sense, both affirm what is in every culture that is of the image of God and that is good and worthy in many different cultures, as well as confront and critique exactly. that in every every culture which is not of the Holy Spirit and of the image of God but from another source and it's that uh, discrimination that enables the gospel to be seen in multicultural forms while remaining the same gospel perfectly said I couldn't have said it better myself and for me that's that's <laughs> that's the revelation seven image of that great multitude from every tribe from every language 
because how else will that be if we don't practice our faith within our own unique cultures? Um, if it's all uniform, mm. if it's a monochrome thing, then it, it's, I don't think that's what mm. Christianity is supposed to be. And, I, and that actually no, kills, is... it kills um, the fire of the gospel in people when they try to practice it in a way that's not natural to them. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, that, that, that's very true. Someone has said that that picture there in, in Revelation 5 to 7 is, it's not so much that it's like a melting pot in which everything just gets blended together into one big stew. It's more like a salad bowl yeah. in which everything retains its distinct, unique color and flavor and texture uh, and yet contributes to the beauty and the glory of the whole. Exactly. And I think that's a, a lovely picture exactly. of, of that multicultural. Well, now... Um, that brings us to your most recent book, at least I think it's your most recent book, African Hermeneutics, uh, published in 2019. And I just wonder, could you explain to us, please, what hermeneutics means and what's particularly African about them? Okay. Hermeneutics, simply put, is how to interpret the Bible. And that's the simplest explanation, how we read it and how we understand it. Um, why African? Well, hermeneutics can come from many different um, angles. Um, most hermeneutics comes from the West, from North America, from, from the UK, from European countries. And for us who live on the continent of Africa, using those resources sometimes leaves us with a little bit of, um, it leaves us with questions. There's a gap in understanding sometimes. So, African hermeneutics is, is simply using a model that an African can understand to engage with the text. And, and I, can, I can explain that. I use the metaphor of a four-legged stool. And this four-legged stool is, is an image that everybody in Africa will understand. And a stool is stable. You sit on it, it'll support your weight. And so my metaphor brings to mind a picture of, uh, of a way to interpret the Bible that is stable and that is accurate. Um, and so you start off with, um, do you want me to explain this too? Yes, please. Yes, it's, it sounds fascinating. You start off yes. with the, the Four... first leg. And the first leg of the stool is what I call parallels to the African context. Now, why do I do that? It's because Africans are always thinking about the realities around them, the issues around them, whether they are political, whether they are social, whether they are cultural. And so we start off from the known, from where we are as Africans, um, and uh, then move on from there to the second leg, which is uh, the theological context of the text. So you start off with your own context, which uh, some people feel is not right, but we do it so that we interrogate our worldview. So that when we get into the text, we're pretty clear that this part of my worldview needs to be changed. This part of my worldview uh, can help me uh, understand the Bible better. Then you look at the theological context of the text, which is very important to understand how the different writers express different theological truths. Uh, then you move on mm -hmm. to the literary context of the text. It simply means you analyze um, the stories in the Bible, the proverbs in the Bible, um, the wisdom, uh, the Psalms, for instance, the songs, the, the, the Psalms in the Bible, in a way that uh, that is appropriate for that kind of literature, uh, and then and and you also 
analyze how the language was, particularly uh, the Greek and the Hebrew for the more academic level. And then you finally end up with your historical context, which then solidifies all this information you've been gathering about the text. Because then you understand when Jesus spoke, he spoke in this particular context. When Paul wrote in his Greco-Roman context, this is what was happening. And so then you bring all those together and you understand what the biblical author meant. And from my perspective, there is one meaning of the text. What did the author mean to communicate? And then the seat of this stool becomes the application. Now that I know what Paul meant to say, for instance, how do I apply that in my own context? And so that's a, a way of thinking yeah. that resonates with, with Africans. Thank you. I, I'm fascinated just towards the end that you say that for you, you know, the text has one meaning. It's what the author meant. Because there are those who, who would say contextual is just another word for relativism, yeah. you know. Um, you know, the, rather than saying the Bible means what it says, which yeah. is what most a lot of Christians would want to say, what it sounds like when you talk about contextual hermeneutics, well, it could mean this for me and it could oh, mean no. that for you. And so, th so the truth of the Bible simply becomes a matter yeah. of perspective. And you've just said, oh, no, so I presume that's not, no. not what you mean. <laughs> not all, no. The Bible has, um, we communicate through human language. If, if we say this means whatever it wants to mean for me, then, then communication becomes impossible, I think. So from my perspective, when you employ all those four legs, those four steps, you can, with a high level of probability, reach the point where you say, this is exactly what, not exactly, this is close to what Paul meant to say. Of course, we, I'm not in his mind, so I can't tell you exactly what he says. Hmm. And so contextual hmm. simply means that the, the method that we use to analyze the text is one with which we are familiar. So for instance, when I'm looking at um, stories in the Bible, um, Africans had many stories and we learned how to interpret those stories. And so I use some of those techniques for understanding Af stories in Africa to bring it. That's where the contextual comes in. It's just that the thinking is African, mm. but the end result and, and, mm. and the end goal is what did the author mean to communicate uh, through these words? And, and then... As you rightly say, not only what did the author mean to communicate when he wrote it, yeah. he or she wrote it, but what is the Holy Spirit now saying to me through these in words my in my own particular context as, as a contemporary reader of this And so that means then that for me the meaning is one, but the application or the significance mm -hmm. is multiple depending on where you are because it's not then the application yeah. can be spread out. Yeah. And, and so we need to recognize then that uh, it's not just Africans or Asians who have a context within which they read the Bible. So do us in the West. The West is a context. We also have contextual reading, even if we're exactly. unconscious of it, because we are inevitably reading the text with the eyes that are already, in a sense, shaped with the lenses of our culture and our worldview. So all Bible hermeneutics, in that sense, are contextual. What we are trying to do is move away from the Western contextual way of reading to the more African contextual way, because once we read it in this way, then the text becomes more relevant, more real. People are more likely to internalize it because they understand it better once we move away from that.
That's it for today's episode. What a great reminder of the power of God's word. It's his gospel that changes hearts and transforms cultures all over the world, including within our own hearts and communities. Again, I'm Angel Torero, and thank you for joining me for On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to discover how they multiply and equip leaders around the world. If you enjoyed today's conversation, will you let us know by giving us a review and sharing this with a friend? And then join me for future episodes where we'll be talking to leaders in Zambia, Palestine, Kenya, Brazil, and beyond. We look forward to having you join for our next episode of On Mission with Chris Wright. In the meantime, God bless. God bless.